Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. Um, we'll just begin uh, by praying. Lord God, we ask that you be with us this morning. I pray that you be asked with me. I ask that, Lord, you be with me that you would give me the words, and he would speak through me, Lord, and help us as we look at three verses from Isaiah. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged by them and to hear what you have to say. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, This morning, I'd like to look at Isaiah chapter 61. It will be up on screen, but if you want to turn there as well, if you do have a Bible, that will be smashing. So Isaiah chapter 61, and we're only going to read three verses. Let's see if that clicker works there. There we go. So Isaiah chapter 61, and beginning at verse 1. This little section is called, The Year of the Lord's Favor. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. These three verses, as I was reading them, were a real encouragement, and I hope they encourage you this morning. We're going to look at each of the verses uh, in in depth and try to get stuck into them, and uh, I'm going to try to keep one eye on the clock as well. Uh, But before we get going uh, and really look at each verse, we need to ask ourselves the question, who wrote these? Who wrote these verses? And the answer is maybe not quite as simple as just saying Isaiah. And so to help us with that, we've got a little video. Um, I hope will pop up and it will explain it for us. No, we don't have a video. That's all right. No problem. Um, Well, basically, the video is just going to highlight for us. Isaiah himself might have wrote these verses. But if if it was Isaiah who wrote them, he would have had to write them prophetically. Because uh, these verses refer to a time that was after the exile where Israelites uh, had left um, their country, where they had left Jerusalem, and they had uh, kind of been kicked out um, in accordance with, uh, basically, they hadn't followed God's plan. And so God put them out. And Isaiah himself could have been writing prophetically. Chapters 40 to 66 of Isaiah were written from the perspective of after the exile, but Isaiah died 150 years before any of that. So how did it figure? Well, either Isaiah wrote prophetically or one of Isaiah's disciples, uh, it was continued on through the generations and they wrote this on his behalf. 
Um, but the point I really want to make here is, ultimately, these verses are Jesus speaking. In fact, if we look now at Luke chapter 4, Jesus turns the black letters from Isaiah 61 into red letters. So Luke chapter 4, let's uh, turn there now. And Jesus speaks in Luke chapter 4. I'm just going to turn there myself. And if we look then at verse 16, it says this. He, that's Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, so his local, local village. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Now, we're about to read what we've just read from Isaiah 61. Jesus is actually bringing these black letters, and he's now speaking them himself. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, importantly, Jesus finishes there. He doesn't read the second half of verse 2 or verse 3. He stops there. And then it says in verse 20 of Luke 4, Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine that scene? Imagine the bearded breath in the synagogue as Jesus finished reading the scriptures from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2a. Imagine that reaction. Okay, he's reading from... The book of Isaiah, he's saying, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me. These people would have been waiting for a long time for the long-awaited Messiah. And Jesus then says in plain, straightforward, crystal clear language that he is in fact the Messiah. Now when we stop and think about uh, Isaiah 61, let's let's really get our heads around. What is Jesus declaring? He's not just declaring that he's the Messiah. He's declaring that he has good news for the poor. This good news is set out in Isaiah, and it looks like this. Jesus is saying that he has come as a Messiah for those who are brokenhearted, for the captives, and for those who are grieving and mourning. And even within our small church, that's something that many of us have experienced. Brokenheartedness, to have our hearts set on someone or something, an ambition, to have our plans made and to have our hearts broken. To be captives, to sin, and to grieve or mourn. Jesus binds up the brokenhearted. What a promise. What a promise. Captives is really interesting. It says here that he sets slaves free. 
slaves, slaves to sin. And very interestingly, do you see what it says here? Recover the sight of the blind. Not give sight to the blind. Recover the sight of the blind. Someone who had seen Jesus, knew Christianity, lived it, but then the black and white of Christianity began to fade to gray and they began to stray from the straight and narrow path. Jesus can recover the sight of the blind. And he opens the prison for those who are bound. Now, the language here is so strong. The word prison, to be bound, to be shackled. When we think of being captive to sin, this is when you're in that desperate, desperate situation where you have fought with all your strength to try and overcome sin. And in your strength, you've tried to break the bars of the prison, but you can't budge it. You've fallen, you've fallen right into the snare of sin. You've become an addict to it. And Jesus, Jesus can open the prison. He gives the power to break the shackles, to throw open the prison doors and to set us free. That is who Jesus is declaring he is in Isaiah 61. To the grieving and mourning, Jesus says that he will provide comfort and he will provide for them. And we have three insteads. Jesus says that instead of ashes, he will give a crown of beauty. To be sitting and wallowing in the ashes of mourning is completely natural. When we lose someone that we love, but Jesus says that he offers a crown of beauty. Instead of mourning, he offers gladness. And instead of a spirit of despair, he offers us a garment of praise. Now, as someone who's lost someone that they love, who is close to them, and as someone who knows in our congregation and in our lives, we know people who have lost ones that they love. Isn't this tremendous? Tremendous truths, tremendous promises. And it's not that it'll maybe just happen overnight. Certainly that wasn't my experience and isn't my experience. But Jesus works with us and he comforts and provides for us in our time of loss. To properly cover Isaiah chapter 61, we really need to look at two other aspects. Um, two little bits which kind of, when you initially read them all, when I read them anyway, I thought, what, what does that mean? So the first one is this. Firstly, look with me again at Isaiah chapter 61. And we're going to look at verse 2, 2a. So the first uh, part of verse 2. It says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't really know. Well, we looked into it a little bit. The year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was announcing and looked for, we're in it. Jesus was saying, I'm the Messiah. The year of the Lord's favor has started it's now. And you know what? Those people and us, we are living in the year of the Lord's favor. But Isaiah sets out a time frame here because he also then says the day of the vengeance of our God. That is when the world ends and Jesus returns. Jesus comes back. It's the end of time. On that day, 
we are operating within a time frame. We are living in a time of God's favor, but a time will come, be it Jesus' return or our death, when we will be called before God, the ultimate judge. And on that day, we will be held accountable. And it is only Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross that can absorb and cancel our sin. We must, we must be in right relationship with him. On that day, if we have accepted Jesus and live for him, our broken hearts are being held captive or having to fight against the temptation of sin. And death will be no more without him, without Jesus. Brokenheartedness, being held captive, and death is all we will ever know. Jesus is the stark contrast. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the good news. I said there were two things that we really needed to look at to properly cover it. The other bit that confused me a little was in Isaiah 61, but now looking at verse 3b, so the second half, and it says this, we can, we can read it together. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Here we have three images. We've got an oak, a planting, and a splendor, and they're all kind of wrapped up into one. Uh, all linked up together. You know, around our house, we've got some big trees. One of the reasons we bought it, uh, we just lo love them. But um, recently we had to get someone out uh, because one of the trees is coming to the end of its life uh, and it was aged as being 160 years old, so even older than Liam. Uh, <laughs> um, unfortunately, ooh, unfortunately, um, that tree is not an oak tree. Um, if it was, that'd be class. You you know, we're taking it down, it could become a great uh, coffee table or something like that. But I was looking it up, and oak trees last around 150 years. And look, without being too much of a romantic, there's a real beauty in trees, isn't there? Um, I think Tolkien really taps into that in his masterpiece, Lord of the Rings. You know, when that uh, guy, the tree surgeon, came out and had a look at this tree, it was amazing with his trained eye, what he could see. He's able to tell me that that tree has weathered storms. It's been through times of drought. He could tell about the soil quality. He could read the tree. That tree has lived a life and it's got the battle scars. And the exiled Israelites yearning for their home country must have thought back to the words of Isaiah or read them and sought after this oak-like quality. Well, what is that? It's strength, stability, a degree of permanence for a people who are exiled, beauty, dignity. They had passed up on those things by not following God's commands, and now they were mourning their homeland, Jerusalem, what they refer to as Zion. And secondly, we are a planting, a planting of the Lord. So it reminds us that we are to stay connected to our life source, to God. We are a planting from him. And herein lies the challenge. 
We need to remember, and this is where the Israelites went wrong, that we can't live this life in our own strength. That we need to stay plugged in, or if you like, rooted deep in God. And finally, we're to do it all for his splendor. The helping, healing touch of Jesus, the joy he offers, that's what we ought to radiate, that's what we ought to display. Our lives ought to be a foretaste of heaven itself. So that's what we want to be, oaks of righteousness, weathering the storms of life, a planting of God, sinking our roots deep into his word, and a display of his splendor, living to the glory of Christ and sharing him every opportunity. And I could just finish there, but I want to tie it all together. Um, As I was chatting through this talk with Rebecca, it's her thoughts really, Um, she started to get me to think a little bit deeper Um, In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, we hear about the shoot of Jesse. That shoot is Jesus. But just before that, God has come along and God has axed down lots of trees in a forest. He's wiped out a nation and then he rises up. Jesus, Jesse's shoot, the ultimate tree. The one who would then go on to die on a tree, but Jesus... And what is it that makes this whole thing so special? What is it that really made me want to communicate verses 1 to 3 this morning? Well, it's this. It's the next slide. Uh, I'm sorry, after that again. Jesus has gone before us. It's one thing to, uh, to look at this and to enjoy this passage, but to really, really get into it and take a hold of it and to just realize the amazing promises that these are. We have to consider how Jesus went ahead of us. Jesus can bind up our broken hearts, but when Jesus lived on earth, he knew what it was to be brokenhearted. And perhaps in your mind, there are lots of examples. There's lots of examples of each of these things. I've just mentioned a couple. Jesus experienced betrayal, betrayal from one of his uh, inner 12, if you like, the disciples. He knew what it was to invest in a person and to see that go south. He was brokenhearted, literally, physically, if you like, with a spear. And there are countless examples of how Jesus healed broken hearts. Countless examples through the Bible of where Jesus takes broken lives and fixes them. I was thinking this morning of some of these examples. And uh, one that sprung to mind was the woman at the well. Just a broken woman, living life, struggling to find meaning and purpose. Remarrying and trying to reinvent herself to find an identity, to find meaning, to find some form of peace, and Jesus steps in and heals a broken heart. Captives, well, Jesus was tempted by sin. They didn't fall captive to it. And then there's that amazing story in Acts chapter 16. And if you look at verse 26, it talks about the prison doors. And here's a great verb, they flew open. Paul and Silas were in prison. There was no hope, there was no way out. You know, the doors were locked. 
The key was on the other side. The guards were on the other side. That's them. That's it. There's no hope. They're stuck. And yet, Jesus, the power of God, throws open those doors. They, fl- they flew open. And they were able to just walk free. And finally, and I guess this is perhaps one uh, that really just comes with a weight. Mourning and grieving. I never thought of it this way before. I knew that Jesus was there to comfort us and to provide for us. The passage says that instead of ashes, we can have a crown of beauty. Jesus wore a crown of thorns. Talks about gladness instead of mourning. In the Bible, we read about God the Father turning his face away. But that's where it kind of hit me. And I'm not, and I want to be very careful, detracting from the enormous weight of mourning and grief, not for a second. But God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows the number of hairs on a person's head. He knows their inmost being. He knows us more intimately than we could ever know someone. And God the Father, when Jesus was on the cross, his son dying, that wasn't just his son. That wasn't just the Messiah. It's a triune God. It was a part of him. His heart broke. He knew in a visceral, real, overwhelming sense what grief and mourning meant. And yet he promises us that those ashes and that mourning and that I just think that's such a a good way of putting it. That spirit of despair where you wonder, will I ever laugh? Will I ever smile? Will I ever get out of this? He promises us beauty and gladness and a garment of praise. And ultimately, he promises us heaven. This is a triumphant finish. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 20, it talks about how he was the first to rise, the first to defeat death. Life does not finish at death if we know Christ. There is heaven beyond. This is temporary. We think about the oak tree and the degree of permanence. They will be called oaks of righteousness. We have a permanent life. An eternal life. Which we just can't in all humanness wrap our minds around. In heaven. How glorious. So I was 
uh, you know, thinking about these verses and uh, kind of weary of them in some ways, weary of getting into them, weary of approaching these big topics. But what an encouragement. What promises to hold on to. It's just stunning. And it all boils down to one word, one person, one God, one Messiah, Jesus. Without him, we are just poor and stuck. With him, we are free. So we'll just pray. Lord God, we thank you for these three verses in Isaiah. We thank you for the promises that they hold. That, Lord, you are with us in this life. That nothing can hold us, Lord. Not be it a broken heart. Not be it sin. Not be it death. Because of the blood of Jesus. We recognize, Lord, just our sorry state that we are so poor without you. And yet, Lord, we rejoice and we praise and we worship because with you we are rich. Rich, Lord, in the things that matter. Not money, but rich, Lord, in spirit. And we have this promise of eternal life. Jesus, we just say thank you. We just cannot thank you enough, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much. Amen.